Hi there, this is Nicolette Richet, your host of the Eat Real to Heal podcast. If you or someone you know has been diagnosed with a chronic degenerative disease and you've tried everything, every diet, therapy, medication, surgery, treatment, and you still can't get results, then this is the podcast for you. My guests, the research that we present, and my personal stories of helping hundreds of clients cancel surgeries, get off prescription medications, and even reverse their debilitating illnesses will inspire you to reclaim your health and to take back your life. Everything you learned in this podcast is about using organic, plant-strong, whole foods as medicine to reverse hundreds of so-called incurable chronic degenerative diseases. This podcast is a mix of real healing hero stories and in-depth conversations with leading scientists and doctors in the nutritional medicine realm. Sit back, get comfortable, and enjoy. Hi, welcome everybody. I am Nicolette Michet, CEO and founder of The Green Mustache. Today, I am so excited to have, on behalf of Richer Health Consulting, Drew Spudfit Taylor here himself to talk about his journey um, going from and I want to let him explain it because I know that he's going to do it so beautifully. So thanks, Andrew, um, for being here with us to teach us about the mighty potato um, and how we should not take its healing powers for granted. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm excited to be here. It's still, after a couple of years now, it still feels weird that people want to talk to me about uh, what, I'm, what I've done because, uh, I don't know, I don't feel like anyone worthy of uh, being a guest on a show like yours, but still I'm happy to do it. So thanks for having me here. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, such a pleasure to have you. And, in fact, um, I fell in love with your story and your healing journey when I saw you on the Ritual or heard you on the Ritual podcast. So seriously, it's an honor for me like, and, you know, to be able to have anybody that Ritual has had on. And for those people who don't know who Rich is, um, you know, he was an athlete who hit rock bottom and he um, was also an alcoholic. He wasn't an athlete. He was a lawyer at the time who hit rock bottom, was also an alcoholic, um, and he turned his whole entire life around. He switched to a plant-based um, whole foods diet, and he became like the world's ultra athlete, which is incredible. But it's not unlike your story, Andrew. Um, yeah, is it? Rich is an amazing bloke, and uh, that was a real highlight to be a guest of his on the podcast. And um yeah even cooler to be able to call him a friend these days and uh you know and other people that i've met along the way that are you know people that i looked up to i now call friends so uh yeah it's, it's strange how how life can change <laughs> overnight um but it wasn't an overnight journey i know for you like this your health had been um you know, hadn't been doing so well. Um, you probably went through lots of ups and downs, like you mentioned it in that podcast. And I really encourage everybody to listen to the Ritual podcast because you'll get such good background and an incredible story. Um, so, do yeah. you want to talk? Do you want to just walk our audience through um, how you ended up arriving at the potato? Um, but all what were all the chain of events? Like, so talk about your health and everything that sort of brought you to the potato, the potato diet. Yeah, well, it's uh, like most people who are overweight. I tried every diet that's on the face of the planet. And, um, you know, I was good at losing weight in a short period of time and then even better at putting it back on plus a bit more. And, uh, you know, that was a a repetitive cycle over 10 plus years. Um, You know, initially, well, when I was a teenager, I was an elite level um, long distance kayaker. So, 
uh, yeah, I was pretty fit and, uh, and, you know, much in much better shape then, but from then forward until, uh, until I started the potato challenge, my weight just crept up and up and up. Uh, before I started, I was, uh, I was diagnosed with, uh, clinical depression and anxiety. Uh, and yeah, really my outlook on life was very, very bleak. I didn't really, there was no light at the end of the tunnel for me. I, I and I hadn't found a way to deal with depression and I felt like I was stuck with that forever. Um, and I was really obviously pretty down about my weight as well and I felt like I'd just tried everything. I couldn't think of what else I could do to get my weight under control. And, you know, from being a former elite athlete to being someone that couldn't even fit in my kayak anymore, let alone race it, was, um, was yeah, was not... A cool, it was not a good place to be in. So, uh, yeah, that was life was a struggle. Um, Can we also, go back to when you were an athlete? I just want to ask you about that um, because I went to university in Mississippi and on a tennis scholarship. And, you know, when you're playing and training, um, you know, the number of hours that you do to be an athlete at the varsity level or, um, you know, any level, really, you're training so hard. But one of the things I was so shocked by when I look back on that time was how our eating habits were so poor. Like our coaches used to bring us to Wendy's before, you know, a 12 hour tournament that lay ahead of us. And was it like that for you? Like, where's, was there any relationship between like um, being an athlete and food? Yeah, absolutely. Now, uh yeah, my diet was poor as an athlete. Um, even when I was, you know, I won Australian championships as a junior kayaker. And even at that point in time, I was still five to 10 kilos overweight. So 10 to 20 pounds. So you know, not, not a whole lot, but I was still heavier than I needed to be. And really, in hindsight, that was, for me, that was uh, probably, well, who knows? It's a, I'm only guessing, but I feel like it was the difference between being one of the best in Australia and maybe being one of the best in the world. Um, you know, who knows? Maybe, maybe if I knew then what I knew now about healthy eating, then maybe I would have been an Olympian. Who knows? That's, um, I don't think it's a stretch to think that that was a possibility for me. But, um, yeah, I was just never able to get on top of my weight and really you know, I was as fit and as strong as anyone in the world. I'm sure of that. But that extra 10 to 20 pounds, 5 to 10 kilos was, um, yeah, it was an anchor, literally an anchor holding me back in the kayak, you know. So, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, and I didn't, I didn't have any idea about diet then. I just, I just ate and I ate a lot because I was training so much that, you know, that, that fuels the fire, you know, you get, you get hungry. And, um, yeah, I didn't really think a lot about what I ate. I just ate. <laughs> And then when did the depression, like, was that something that you had suffered from for a really long time or is it something that came on after training or when did that, um, when were you aware of it? Uh, that was, that was for a couple of years before I started my potato only year. So I, I ate nothing but potatoes for all of 2016 and we'll get more into why I did that. But mm -hmm. for the couple of years leading up to that was, um, yeah, that was when I was diagnosed and really suffering um, yeah, in hindsight, maybe it went for three years before that, but yeah, I was diagnosed a couple of years before. Um, and, and did that yeah. happen after, sorry to interrupt, did that happen after you stopped training? Like, did you feel that exercise? Yeah, yeah. yeah it was a combination of things. So my, I've got a little boy who's four and a half years old now and 
after he was born, uh, basically sleep went out the window. For the first year and a half of his life, he mm -hmm. woke up every 45 minutes. Oh, wow. um, and so That's really, for, yeah, for, for a year and a half, I was existing on two to three hours of broken sleep every night. Um, and, and I didn't have the time, let alone the motivation to train. And, um, and, you know, I was, I was always, I was from, from my junior days, I was elite as a junior. And after that, I just kept fit because I just enjoyed being fit. But at mm -hmm. the same time, I was very fit, but I was still getting heavier and heavier. Um, but for a heavy person, I was extremely fit still. Um, but then, you know, after my boy was born, I couldn't train anymore. I didn't have time to train or motivation because I was just so tired all the time from not sleeping. And, um, and you know, with with uh, when I was training, I, at least I had a bit of motivation to try to eat well, to try to, you know, because I was trying to be fit. But then it was like, oh, I can't train. I'm, I can't be fit. Who cares about food anymore? And mm -hmm. I just, you know, I was bad. I was already bad at eating good <laughs> if that makes sense but yeah. then then i just i totally gave up on food entirely and um yeah what what little efforts that i did make to eat well were just gone after that so and then yeah so all of those factors are contributing to um i was probably already suffering a little bit with depression and anxiety but then it just got out of hand from then on and that was when i was diagnosed and um yeah things things got bad. <laughs> yeah, and they spiral down really, really quickly. So one of the things is, I mean, I would say almost 100% of my clients who come to me um, to figure out what they can do to get off their meds, to be able to cancel a surgery and not have to go through it and get their body to heal itself as opposed to using the surgery and the meds to do it, to get rid of their symptoms. But most of them are on antidepressants and anti-anxiety meds and sleeping meds. And that was something I was so shocked at. Sometimes I would see both, like couples coming to me and both of them were on antidepressants and really not able to cope with life. And they were parents, you know, and so they had to, and I know what it's like, I'm a mom of three kids and I know that sleep deprivation, um, how hard it is. And the one thing that I think helped me through all of that um, sleep depri deprivation years was probably the fact that I was fortunate enough to have known a lot about food and diet, you know, years ago that I was eating clean food that was just really easy on the brain and, you know, potentially allowed me to have better sleeps, even if they were only in 20 to 45 minute increments and things like that. Um, but so when you're, so one of the things that I'd love for you to address, um, especially for my clients, the ones that, well, hundred percent of them that are um, on antidepressants is, you know, what is, I want you to just talk about how you were able to make the decision to actually get the energy because it takes a lot of energy to switch your lifestyle and you chose something radical, right? Like switching just to the potato and it was from January 1st, 2016 to January 1st, 2017, correct? Yeah, that's right. Yep. Yeah. And you just ate potato baked and boiled um, with nothing else on it at all. Well, I did allow a little bit of uh, very, very minimal flavoring. So it was, um, you know, a little bit of herbs and spices, a little bit of um, maybe ketchup or barbecue sauce or something like that. But I'm talking about, um, you know, for a large potato, maybe one teaspoon of sauce. But um, right. that was just so every now and then. Most of, probably 90% of my meals were just plain baked, boiled or mashed potatoes with nothing. 
And every now and then, uh, maybe once every two weeks, I would have something a little bit more interesting. But um, yeah. So how did you get yourself to that place where you were able to make that decision to radically change your lifestyle? And not just for a week. It wasn't something you were going to you know, do for yeah, a week. Yeah. Okay, well, it's sort of a long story, but um, mm-hmm. I, I was at the point in my life where uh, every day, at least at some point in the day, I was, I was, would find myself crying. I would basically, I'd sneak off to uh, go to the toilet or go to the bathroom or something, find some place to be alone, and I would, because I would feel the tears coming, and I would go, I've got to get out of here, go and be alone, and do that. And it was strange for me because. I didn't really feel so sad that I felt like crying. I felt, I really just felt numb. So it confused me. Like when I'm an emotionless vessel, why am I crying? <laughs> you know, yeah, I didn't really sure. understand Because um, I didn't, yeah, like I said, I didn't feel sad. I just felt a, a total lack of emotion at all. Like, you know. So anyway, one time, one day I was out, I took my boy for a walk. We were walking past a lake. It was beautiful, sunny day. Uh, the grass is green, the sun's bouncing off the lake, everything's perfect. And uh, I was out with my boy walking along the path to go to a playground and uh, and the tears came and there's nowhere for me to hide. So I broke down while I was walking with my boy and I ended up sitting down on the side of the path crying and my boy's consoling me. He's only two years old, just turned two years old at that stage and and, um, you know, strangers are walking past seeing this and suddenly, you know, these bunch of strangers know more about me in that part of my life than even my wife does. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, you know, a two-year-old kid shouldn't be looking after his dad like that. He was in, you know, the truth is he was doing a better job of looking after me than I was at that point mm-hmm. in time. And he was only two and it didn't, wasn't fair to me. And um, anyway, so we went. Uh, you know, I picked myself up and got going again and we went to the playground and had a good time and everything was good. And walking back from the park, um, <clears throat> from the playground, I got to thinking about, you know, I've, I've been a teacher for a long time and I got to thinking about how every kid I've ever met who I, uh, who I had some sort of good or bad, I, I, I couldn't figure out what was going on with them. Maybe they were a genius or maybe they were struggling in some way. Without fail, every time I met the kids' parents, everything made sense because kids end up like their parents. There's nothing you can do about it. They're going to rebel in some ways. They're going to be totally different in some ways. But at their core, kids nearly always end up like their parents. And suddenly was struck with this realisation that it didn't matter how hard I tried to be a, a good dad because I was really trying my best. I was putting everything in into trying to be a good dad and so much so that there was nothing left of me really mm-hmm. um but I, yeah i had this realization that no matter what i did my little boy was going to end up like me and to me at that point in time that was the worst thing i could think of uh, i just i couldn't handle the idea that my boy was going to grow up to be this morbidly obese depressed hopeless man i just there's nothing worse than i could think of for my for my boy so um at that point in time like i said earlier i thought i was stuck with depression forever i couldn't i didn't know what to do about that i just i was lost i didn't know what to do about that but i thought okay maybe there maybe i can try to i just got to do something to try to get fitter and healthier i just got to try something so um i just went back to a, a a thing i've tried many times before and i 
I started, um, you know, I started getting up at five in the morning, even though I wasn't sleeping that well. I've, I've just got to get up and do it. And so I get up and start exercising at five in the morning. And, uh, and I was drinking green smoothies and eating salads and, you know, eating healthy dinners every day. And I lasted on this plan for about a month and I did really well. I didn't miss a single day of getting up early to train and I ate my smoothie, my green smoothies and my salads and everything. It was going really well. And after a month, um, you know, I'd lost weight. Everything was good. And so did, thought, wait, did the depression at this point shift at all? Like mentally? Uh, like a little bit, but not much. It was like, you know, I felt like I was being successful and, you know, there's a little bit of pride that comes from doing something well for a little while. So, yeah, there's a little bit of movement, but still I was, yeah, I was, things were not good still. Um, but anyway, there was, there was improvement. So it's good. But anyway, then the end of that month came and I thought to myself, well, I've done a month really well, so I need to reward myself. I'm going to have a, have one slice of pizza for dinner and that'll be a, that'll be a good reward. So I, I ordered a pizza Obviously, pizza doesn't get delivered by the slice, so I got a whole pizza, and uh, and I had one slice of pizza and sat down to watch a movie, and everything was good, and I was happy. One slice of pizza in a month is pretty good, and then, long story short, I ended up eating the whole pizza, plus ice cream, plus Coca-Cola. Um, you know, it's a familiar story that probably lots of people watching have been through. That, yeah. So that was... Um, you know, all the while when I'm going through that, I'm telling myself, it's okay, you can get back on the diet tomorrow, everything's going to be fine and blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'll make up for it by doing an extra long training session tomorrow, you know, all these sorts of lies that people yeah. tell themselves. Yeah. Um, so the next day I woke up and I didn't, I, hadn't, I didn't get up at five for the first time in a month. I didn't get up at five and train and I didn't have a healthy breakfast and I didn't have a healthy lunch and I had no plans for a healthy dinner. And, um, and I was feeling really down that I'd just let it all go. And yet again, I'd failed again. And, you know, and it's, the, it's a funny thing about the addict's mind because if a, a rational mind would have gone, okay, that's a mistake, start again tomorrow, no harm done. But, oh, you know, I was just thinking everything, just totally blown it. I'm an idiot and whatever. So mm -hmm. to console myself, you know, I thought, oh, I'm just going to have a beer whatever it's it's all blown i'll just have a beer so i went to the fridge got a beer and as i sat down and cracked the beer open i suddenly was struck by this idea that um the way i've been treating food my whole life was the way that an alcoholic would treat the beer that i was about to drink and you know we've, we've all heard a million stories about an alcoholic who goes you know for a week or a month or a year or multiple years without drinking alcohol and then one day it's uh you know it's my it's my best friend's wedding uh so i'm just gonna have one beer it's gonna be okay and then tomorrow i'll go back to being sober and one beer turns into 10 beers turns into waking up in a gutter somewhere with no memory yeah. and um you know the way that i was treating food was very similar to that sort of pattern of behavior so um yeah initially that realization made me more depressed because i was i was like okay an alcoholic can quit alcohol but what am I going to do? I can't quit food. And so, you know, damn, I'm stuck with this now. There's nothing I can do about it. I'm a food addict and there's nothing I can do about it because I'm just stuck with it because I can't quit. And then, you know, that thought just circulated around a bit and I was like, well, maybe I can't quit, but I wonder how close I can get to quitting. I wonder if I can just go, could I get as close as possible to quitting food by finding one single food that I could eat that, 
uh, would keep me healthy and happy and everything working properly as it should while I quit everything else and try to simulate um, the abstinence model that that uh, that, a, that an addict would use, that an alcoholic would use. And, you know, maybe that was something that I could try. So, yeah, that was, sorry, that was a long answer to the question, but um, I sort of felt like I had to cover all those points. So that was how I arrived at the idea of quitting food. And, um, and then, yeah, a lot of research followed, maybe six weeks of every day getting into the deep into the scientific literature, reading books, watching documentaries. And, um, yeah, I figured out over that period of time that potatoes was, was the obvious choice. It really is the obvious choice. If you want to quit um, all foods except one, then potatoes is, in my opinion, without a doubt, the best choice. Can you explain why? Because I know a lot of people just away from the potato. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, yeah, I get a lot of people that as well. Just before this interview, I had somebody that emailed me and saying that she wants to try this, but she's scared that it's going to be bad for her diabetes because, you know, potatoes are bad for diabetics. And um, anyway, so I did this research, um, you know, a lot of published peer-reviewed science and a lot of, uh, you know, just everything I could get my hands on, I devoured. And um, so, yeah, basically there's, there's two levels of evidence that support this. One is historical evidence. So you can look at um, things like the, uh, the Irish diet. That's, a, that's probably the most famous example. The Irish, basically the entire population existed on um, not, not solely potatoes, but very close to only potatoes for a couple of centuries. Uh, they went through a population boom. It, it was well known that they were bigger and stronger and more attractive than their English counterparts in the next country. Um, you know, that this they were very fit, healthy people eating almost nothing but potatoes. And then you can look at uh, the Okinawan diet where they have the most uh, centenarians of anywhere in the world. Um, and their, their diet to, traditionally is upwards of 95% of their calories come from uh, sweet potatoes. Then you got Papua New Guinean Highlanders, nearly all of their calories, apart from once in a while, maybe once once or twice a year, they'll have a feast day where they slaughter a pig. Apart from that, they will eat pretty much only sweet potatoes for forever. And and they're big, fit, strong, athletic people. Um, you know, then, then there are examples of, uh, I think it was in, it's a long time ago they did the research, but I'm pretty sure it was in Scotland. They had prisoners of war that they fed only potatoes because it was the cheapest thing they could give them. And these prisoners were fit and healthy and reported at the end of their prison time, not feeling sick of potatoes and feeling good and everything's good. And, and then I read a lot of science as well, which is going to get boring to get into the data, but uh, my I favorite. Love it. <laughs> <laughs> I love it too. Um, I'm wary of people listening though, <laughs> but if you want to go more into it, I can. But yeah, my favorite study that I read was a study from the 1920s where uh, a marathon running couple from Poland ate only potatoes for six months and they reported being happy with the diet at the end of six months. They weren't bored of potatoes. They felt good on potatoes and they actually ran personal best marathons after six months of only potatoes. Wow. Um, you know, I, I really couldn't find any evidence that this was going to be a bad idea. So, um, yeah, I, I, it just seemed like the obvious choice. There are other foods that I considered, but nothing just had the sheer weight of evidence that potatoes did. And the, and the historical evidence was the biggest thing, you know. It's, it's all good to have 
stats and data from um, from studies to back you up. But I could look at the history of humans and see that millions of people have done something very close to what I was planning over history, and and you know there was nothing, no other food that could I could claim that with. It was potatoes was the only one. Yeah. Yeah. And it is, you know, it is incredible because, you know, we listen to like an article comes out in the Huffington Post or something like that. And they say, oh, potatoes are high on the glycemic index and everybody stops eating them. But nothing's really ever shown um, within context. And it's also there's so many questions that I think it's so important for the audience or the readers or the listeners to ask is, you know, well, how should the potatoes be cooked or what other foods are, you know, are those societal or communities or individuals eating that, you know, potentially show that the potato is, you know, spikes your blood sugar, you know, is there something else going on in the human body? But then all of a sudden everybody's like off the potato. And it's so sad because potatoes are so chocked full of nutrients and to not have them be part of your diet, you're severely missing out. So can you talk about, I'm going to ask you this, and I hate asking this question because um, so many people start with this first, but, you know, they go, what about the fat? What about the protein? What about the, you know, can you just talk a little bit about that for our audience and tell them, like, just about the nutrient makeup of the potato? Yeah, yeah, no worries. No, that's a, that's a good question. It's a fair question. It does get asked a lot, but it's an important one to answer. Um, just to continue on with what you were saying about, you know, the, the articles you see, yeah, uh, I think ask pretty much anyone how they normally eat potatoes. And it'll be it'll be pretty simple answers. They'll be deep fried in oil as potato chips, or they'll be baked potatoes that are covered in cheese and sour cream and bacon bits and you know all this other junk that gets put in with potatoes. And you know people will will load their potatoes up with junk and then blame the potato. And it's like you know a garbage truck. I I, I talk about potatoes being the garbage truck of the food world. A garbage truck in itself is an amazing, beautiful piece of machinery that's been designed and works perfectly to do exactly what it what it's supposed to do. It, it's an amazing accomplishment to make a garbage truck. It really is. But we don't like being around them because they're full of garbage. <laughs> and, you know, and the potato's the same way. It's a beautiful, it's a beautiful, amazing piece of food, but it's bad for us because we fill it with garbage. Yeah, um, so, that's a you know, great garbage, suddenly you've got an amazing, healthy meal. Um, so get back to the, the question you asked. Um, potatoes, everyone knows potatoes are full of carbohydrates. They do have a lot of carbohydrates, and that's great. The body runs on carbohydrates. Every cell in the body needs carbohydrates to work properly. Um, so, yeah, carbohydrates are good. Um, fats, they they also have, people say they, say they have no fat. They do have fat, a very small amount of fat. One to 2% of their calories come from fat. Um, I actually had my blood fat levels measured at the end of a year of eating only potatoes at the University of Adelaide. They measured my blood and everything. All my fat levels were perfect. Every different kind of fat, it was all perfect after a whole year of eating only potatoes. And that's because potatoes do have a little bit of fat. They don't have as much as you typically re recommended to eat. But your body is a, an amazing machine that's able to understand when it when the food you're eating is low in fat then i better get good at absorbing the fat that's there and using it properly and recycling it later and things like that so that's helpful um protein as well it's got um between six and eight percent of uh of calories in um, potatoes are from protein i was getting over my recommended daily uh requirements of protein 
which I think for me, from memory, it's again, it's a long time ago that I looked at it, but I think it's about 65 grams of protein a day is recommended for someone my size. And I was getting about 85 grams of protein a day. Um, and, you know, people often aim for 200 grams of protein a day. And, you know, all these paleo diets and whatever, they get huge amounts of protein and it's just not necessary. Um, so there's that. Um, some other concerns, a, a weird one is people are often concerned about vitamin C. I was getting well over 400% of my vitamin C requirements. You know, mm -hmm. potatoes are very good for vitamin C. Yeah. Iron's another one. You're not eating meat, so where's your iron coming from? Again, my iron intake was huge. Potatoes are very good for iron. I was getting, I think it was over 500% of my daily iron requirements. Mm -hmm. And last time I had my iron checked by my doctor during this potato thing, he said to me that if I was uh, an elite rider in the Tour de France, my oxygen carrying capacity in my blood due to the iron level in my blood was right on the borderline where they would start thinking, if this goes any higher, this guy could be doping. Um, so, you know, <laughs> this is... So really, with the full doping craze amongst all the Olympic athletes, really they just need to get on the potato. Yeah, well, maybe, yeah. I was I was still within the legal range, but only just. If I went higher, you know, that was uh, that could have been a problem. <laughs> so, That's hilarious. Um, yeah, you know, it, is the same, it is the same thing with um, the therapy that I teach because I teach what's called the Gerson therapy. And, you know, the thing is, is that it recognized, like, this was a medical doctor from the early 1900s who was able to reverse cancer and all types of chronic diseases, tuberculosis, um, you know, you name it, um, with switching to a plant-based whole foods diet. And the number one thing he recognized, too, is that, you know, we're eating way too much protein. And to be able to heal the body, we actually need to reduce the amount of protein. Um, and to try and get iron from meat is wasn't, you know, there were still so many people who were anemic, even though they ate tons and tons of meat. And yeah. so the way you reverse all of that was to switch to this plant-based diet and I see it happen all the time with my clients you know th th there's no iron as part of as supplement iron as part of the therapy but your iron stores and um, it's you know oxygen binding capacity just goes through the roof the minute we cut out the meat reduce the protein yeah. and cut out all the the trash from the garbage truck um, and then eat these like amazingly designed um, fruits and vegetables so yeah that's a huge huge part um, and I loved your analogy, by the way, about the garbage truck sign and start using that for sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it's a, it's a simple thing, really. You know, this is a this is a whole unmodified food that just grows in the dirt. You, you just pick it and you boil it and you eat it. There's no processing involved. There's nothing added to it. You know, nature doesn't provide food in that form from whole plant foods that are bad for us. It's just... You know, they're, they're all good if it's a if it's a natural whole food that grows in dirt like that, and it's good for you. <laughs> so, so I just um, wanted you to touch on something, and I'm curious if you've come across across this because I know I get um, people who ask me about it all the time because there's a couple, you know, doctors out there who published a book on plant toxins to talk about, you know, the reason you are obese and the reason you have illness is because vegetables have toxins, um, and I think it's lecithin is yeah. Is it, Lecithin, and so of course the potato, the yam, which one? 
Lectins, is it? Lectins? Oh, yeah, lectins. Yeah, yeah, yeah. lectins. And um, so everybody, you know, is coming to me like, oh, I'm afraid of all these lectins, but they really are there in almost every legume and grain and fruit and vegetable on the planet. So what do you say to people when they come to you and talk to you about plant toxins? Yeah, yeah, I get that a lot too. And, um, you know, and again, I'm big on history. You just go and look through history and, uh, mm -hmm. and people who have historically been fit and healthy and uh you know everything about them as being good have eaten a lot of plant foods you know back to the irish again potatoes have got lectins and the irish uh were like i said earlier they were on average that was well noted in that part of history that the irish were bigger stronger fitter more athletic and better looking than the english people that only lived in the country next door and had basically the same genetics they were just right. eating better food um you can go to uh, the Mediterranean diet, the typical Mediterranean diet, not the current one that's full of olive oil and full of seafood and all of this. The typical um, traditional Mediterranean diet throughout the centuries is very, very high in plant foods, especially in legumes, uh, potatoes, and uh, you know those sorts of foods that are high in lectins and very very low in olive oil and meats and seafoods and things like that and um you know they're they're all these people have uh, were fit healthy people you can go to asia where um you know a huge part of their diet is based on rice and beans as well and yeah. traditionally i mean maybe the current day it's swerving more and more towards the western diet but the traditional diets are of the traditional diets throughout history of the world's healthiest people are high in uh, plant foods, high in carbohydrates, high in these lectins. You know, mm -hmm. you've only you've only got to look through uh, through history to see that people who eat a lot of lectins are fit, strong, healthy people, and mm -hmm. uh, and people who don't are not. <laughs> exactly. You know? And you proved it by eating the, you know, potato for an entire year. I know McGill University had done a study, um, McGill's here in Canada and Ontario, and um, he did a study as well. These students ate potatoes, I believe, for six months straight, just the potato. And what they found at the end is that they were healthier when they just stuck to the potato and nothing else um, than before they got started. And that's definitely not what they were um, looking to find. And they were very yeah. surprised by that. So can we go back now to, I just want you to um, help our audiences understand um, or just get some insight into you're doing all of this research, you know you need to do something. And I really, like what touched me so much about what you said is that, you know, you wanted to be this incredible example for your son, right? Yeah. And, um, you know, and you had that insight about how kids turn out to be like their parents. So I love that. I mean, that. Was that the only motivator though, was your son? And you know, how was that to make that shift? Like, was that um, as you're doing all of this research and starting to decide that I'm gonna, you know, eat yeah. the potato for an entire year? Yeah, well, at that point in my life, I was, I was really feeling hopeless. I felt like I personally was a lost cause. That was just, I was, my lot in life was to be fat and sick and depressed. And that's just the way my life was gonna be. And I better just suck it up and deal with it. and get to work on trying to be a good dad because I was really determined. Even at my lowest point, I was very determined and I I was uh, to be a good dad, basically, and to be a good husband. I wanted to do everything I could. You know, I, I didn't realize that the way I was doing things, I was not leaving anything for myself. And in order to be the best dad and best husband I could be, 
I also need to be the best me that I can be, you know, and I didn't really understand that at the time. But yeah, so to answer your question in a shorter sort of way, I keep getting sidetracked. It was, yeah, uh, I, I'd really lost hope on myself entirely. And yeah, my, my whole motivation was that I didn't want my boy to go down the same road that I did. And if I didn't want him to, uh, oh, sorry, I was, I was stuck with he was going to become me no matter what I did. So I had mm-hmm. to work on trying to become someone that I was happy for him to become. Right. Um, and I, you know, I didn't know, uh, like I said, I didn't know how to deal with the depression side of things. So in my eyes, I, I, there must have been a way that I could lose weight and get fit. And it was, it was a better option for him to be, uh, to be depressed and fit and healthy rather than depressed and fat, you know. I thought he was going to grow up and depressed, be depressed no matter what I did. So at least I can, he can be physically healthy, if not mentally healthy at the same time. So that was really, I didn't, that was, that was the, the overriding motivation for me. Of course, it would have, I would have liked to have been fit and healthy and happy myself, but I, I didn't think that was possible. So, yeah. So that brings up a really interesting point because here you are, you're reading all about um, eating the potato and, and more from, you know, the perspective of being healthy and losing weight. And did you make the connection, like when did you make the connection between um, the mental health and food connection that, you know, was that something you had to experience first or did you start to, you know, get some insight and that it could potentially help with that? And were you on medication for your clinical depression at the time? Uh, I was prescribed medication, uh, but I never took it. Um, I, I don't. They not necessarily recommend people taking the same course of action I did, but I never took the medication. I can't really justify it. It just, I was uneasy about taking the medication, um, and really, I, I can't justify it. Like I said, I just didn't do it. It didn't feel like the right thing for me to do. Um, but maybe I should have because maybe I would have. Maybe things would have improved better. I don't know. But um, yeah. Anyway, that's the way it was. Um, I didn't do any research about potatoes affecting depression. It didn't occur to me that that would help with my mental health. It just uh, was not part of the equation for me. The whole deal was I wanted to not be a food addict, and that was it. I wasn't. It wasn't even about losing weight. I just didn't want to be addicted to foods anymore, and I, I wanted to treat it like, you know, I didn't like an alcoholic doesn't want to be addicted to alcohol. I didn't want to be addicted to food, and that was that was where my focus was. Um, I noticed after two weeks of eating only potatoes, I noticed that um, it was like suddenly I was thinking, oh, hang on, yesterday was an okay day and today's an okay day. I can't remember the last time I had two okay days in a row. This is wow. interesting. And, um, and then like after a month, I was like, I've had like a week of okay days in a row. Wow. And this is cool. And then after two months, it was like, Pretty much every day is a good day now. Like this is weird. What's <laughs> what's going on? And, That's um, amazing. And I still hadn't done any research, but then I I met a friend who had done a lot of research about um, about you know uh, the way food affects um, depression. And yeah, it turns out there's very good reasons. Do you want me to tell, talk about how it works? Or well, you know, I would love to. Be, yeah, I would love for you to um, just because when I have a lot of clients who come to me with mental health and they do ask that question, like I have anxiety, I have panic attacks, I have um, clinical depression, I have 
um, intense mood swings around the times when they're, you know, women are menstruating. I have, you know, they're going through, you know, really high and low times in menopause. And, you know, and they ask me questions, it's almost like timidly, like, and do you think that this therapy might help with the mental health stuff? And, you know, it's almost like they're asking the most obscure question in the entire world. And where I'm like, yes, of course, like our brain is so desperate for good nutrients. And it is really, really so sensitive to processed foods and dyes and food colorings and preservatives. And so to me, I'm always... I guess I don't know. Maybe I've been doing this too long, I guess, but or, or not too long, not long enough, but where I'm just still so shocked by there's such a huge gap in knowledge between food and overall body health and our heads are attached to our shoulders. They're not separate, you know, yeah. but we tend to think about disease and illness affecting our organs below the neck and we forget about this one up here. So that's what I'm, like, I, it, I'm always pretty shocked by, but then I love because my clients, the, within five days, they notice exactly how you described it. Like, wow, I felt pretty good today. That's amazing. Let's do this for one more day. And then I have clients who have been doing this therapy for nine years, 10 years. Um, and it's really not a therapy. It's not a diet. It's a lifestyle change. You only choose good food, just like the alcoholic doesn't drink anymore. They don't eat processed crap, junk food anymore. And, um, and they just like life is just amazing. They're like, oh my gosh. And they can handle all the stressors in life that are, we're never going to get rid of the stress in our life, right? Like you're going to have a crappy job one day, maybe, and you don't know what to do. Um, you're going to have like a crappy relationship and you don't know what to do, but it's not as bad when your brain is running optimally as when it's, you know, depleted of nutrients. So yeah, talk, let, talk about the mental, um, health part of it. Yeah. You know what? I think you made a really good point about the organs in the body. You know, people can accept that the way you eat can be good for your liver or good for your stomach or good for your kidney. Why couldn't it also be good for your brain? You know, that's <laughs> a, it's a weird thing. But yeah, so my understanding of, first of all, as far as mental health goes, I think it's a combination of things. So obviously I, I was losing weight. That helps with your mental health. I was being successful at something, you know, two months of eating only potatoes when I'd never been any good at sticking with diets before. Um, you know, a month was the longest I'd ever been able to do on anything. And, um, yeah, so, you know, I'd had my minor successes along the way. And obviously that helps with your mental health too. But onto the more chemical side of things, we've got this feel good ha uh, hormone in our body called serotonin. Uh, the way most, uh, depression medications work is they're called serotonin reuptake inhibitors. And what that does is we produce serotonin in our brain. And when we're finished with it, uh, our body takes it again and excretes it so that it's gone and we have to produce more serotonin. These serotonin reuptake inhibitors make our, our brain recycle that serotonin. So instead of going out of our body, it reuses it, keeps it in our brain, and, and that by having more serotonin in our brain, that improves our mood. Or it's a, that's supposed to be, that's the theory of how these medications work. Now, here's the thing. We produce 5% of our bodies. I could be off on these numbers. Don't quote me on the numbers, but okay. it's really, you know, it's a roundabout. Either way, the, the description works, whether I'm, you know, 5 or 10% out on the numbers. But we, we produce 5% of our serotonin in the brain, and the other 95% is produced in our intestines, in our gut. And, um, and it's produced by the bacteria, the gut flora that we produce. Um, so the way, the best way to make our, 
digestive system, our gut flora, good at producing serotonin, is to eat food that produce that promote the growth of the the gut flora, the bacteria that produces serotonin. Turns out that potatoes, starchy food, high fiber foods, um, basically healthy, whole, unmodified plant foods with all the good kinds of fiber, they promote the specific bacterias that produce serotonin, all right? So medication focuses on the place where 5% of the serotonin is produced. Food focuses on the place where 95% of the serotonin is produced. So it's natural that, you know, if you create a good environment for your gut, then you're going to get more serotonin, you're going to feel better. It's, yeah. um, yeah, that's, that's the, turns out to be that's the way it works. And that was, I think, you know, by a long way, like I said, it's good that I had success with certain things and I was doing well. That was, a, in my opinion, a small part of my mental health change. A big part was that I was, I was eating in a way that allowed my body to produce more serotonin. Yeah, that's a brilliant way of explaining it because everybody's reading about the gut-brain connection now and how it's so important to have that um, really good healthy bacteria. And, you know, scientists have known this for years and years but never really placed huge importance in it with, and, and connected it to the food industry. Um, and, you know, I think you just did a brilliant job of explaining it so that people really understand where that connection between the gut and the brain happens, um, especially around, you know, just talking about serotonin, which is yeah. um, critical, right? And um, and this is the part that um, is really important, too, that um, from something that I just learned in the last couple of years as well is that um, everybody's taking probiotics and probiotics are great, right? They're you know, especially for somebody who has like a limited um, bacteria count that's been damaged by antibiotics and just poor diet. And so everybody's taking the pre uh, probiotics, but what they're forgetting is that there's also prebiotics um, that need to be consumed. And that is the insoluble, hard to digest plant-based fiber that is so yeah. critical to feed the pre-bacteria that then the pro, the like the good bacteria will then eat as well. So. Yeah. There's two stages, and they, and um, when you know, gut bliss is a really great book that people can read to understand that if you don't have you know enough good bacteria and you're not getting the insoluble plant-based fiber, you take those probiotics and they just are dead within 15 minutes of consuming them. So you just swallowed you know thirty dollars worth of product um, over the course of a couple of weeks, and it not and it's just dead, not doing anything for you. So you need to feed yourself first the um, insoluble plant-based fiber, the hard to digest fiber, which really only comes from plants, people. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, if you want, yeah, I think you summed that up perfectly. These I don't personally take any sort of um, yeah, probiotics or prebiotics. I just my food does it. But there are times when you need to take those things. Um, you know, like you said, in acute circumstances, you need to take those things. But, yeah, if you want them to work, you need to create the right environment for them to work. And, you know, if you put them into an environment where they're not welcome, <laughs> then, yeah. you know, what's the point? <laughs> exactly. So I want to jump over and talk less about you, and I want to talk about your wife and your son. So as you're going through this and you make the decision to, and from what I understand from um, your previous, you know, podcast, is your wife didn't know about this, um, did she know about the clinical depression and she, did she know, you said she didn't know that, you know, you were in the park crying and having these episodes during the day? Yeah, she knew about the depression, definitely okay. she knew about the depression, but I didn't, I really didn't want to be a burden on her, you know, she was, she was having a, like, 
like I talked about the sleep deprivation earlier, she was going through the same sleep de deprivation I was, you know, there was, there was, uh, you know, we were both doing it tough and I didn't want to be a burden on her. So she was actually the person that first diagnosed me with depression. And I went to the, I went to the doctor because she thought that I was depressed and, and, um, and, you know, in hindsight, I knew I was too, but I was in denial. And, um, mm -hmm. yeah, so yeah, she knew I was depressed, but I, I kept the worst of it from her um, and that, you know, so, yeah. When, so when you were making the decision to do this, now did your wife start consuming, when she saw these changes like two months in and she notices, you know, she must have noticed your mental health state shifting, you're losing weight, you have more energy, you're feeling better. Um, and did she jump onto the potato lifestyle with you or what was, you know, what was what was she doing during this time? Uh, well, first of all, she was really supportive. Um, when I was doing all the research and everything that I talked about, I didn't tell her what it was all about. But when I finally settled and my idea was solid and I knew what I wanted to do, then I told her what my idea was. And she was super supportive from the beginning. She didn't flinch. She just said, yeah, if that's what you want to do, then go and do it and I'll back you up. And um, yeah, so she was really uh, my number one supporter and always has been, always will be. Um, but yeah, so she didn't do it with me though. She, she, there was obviously there was a lot of potatoes around the house, so she ate more potatoes than she normally would have. But um, she had a couple of small guys. She did a week here and a week there, but she didn't have the same food issues that I did. She's always been trim and fit and healthy and much better looking than me. So. Um, yeah so she didn't she didn't have the same need for it that i did so um mm -hmm. yeah she just did her thing and i did mine and yeah we we coexisted and it worked well <laughs> okay great and then your son and i mean i have three kids and they're always like you know they're incredible eaters they love vegetables they love fruits they love grains they love whole foods they don't need it to be smothered in sauces or anything like that and they yeah. and i know it's because their brain is actually okay with the textures and tastes of, and you know, and you know, the diversity of all of these flavors. So their brain has been tuned into that since they were young. But was your son like, um, you know, was he watching you and commenting and what are some of the things he was saying while you were doing this? Uh, well, he was only just turned two when I started. So it didn't really, wasn't, it was not a thing for him. It was just in the beginning, um, yeah, he was two years and three months. So he was he was paying attention to he was just he was still eating. i wasn't making him eat only potatoes obviously he was just eating what he wanted to eat and um yeah towards the end of the year it started it wasn't like anything that he commented on but it was like he realized i guess started to understand that i only eat potatoes but he i guess couldn't remember a time before that so it just seemed normal to him and you know we'd you know he'd have like a you know the kids play kitchens and stuff and he would go in there and cook me potatoes pretend to make me potatoes and stuff and here's your potatoes dad and all that but never any questions about it here to him it was just what i did and um so that brings up an amazing point you know that it's sorry to interrupt, but it brings up such an incredible point and i think you summarize it so nicely is that that's all he knew is that you ate potatoes and what if we lived in a world where that's all you knew that you just ate real food yeah you know, you know and instead of the opposite way like what are you talking about? Like you only eat whole foods. Like, come on, have a steak, have some fun, yeah. have this, have that. And that's where we are, I think, right now. People think that something's wrong with you if you only want to eat clean food. Yeah. And yeah, my he 
it's interesting what you said about your kids because my boy is the same. He he prefers when I give when I do give him potatoes, he prefers them plain. I, I try to give him sauce or whatever, and he would rather the potatoes with nothing on them. He would he happily eats a whole meal of just mango or just watermelon or just potato. Um, every now and then he'll have pasta, but like whole wheat um, pasta with the fiber still intact and all that. And mm -hmm. he would like that with just a little bit of nutritional yeast and that's it. He doesn't have any sauces on his pasta even. You know, mm -hmm. what could be more bland, but he's totally happy with just the natural flavor of things. And, and you know, I don't he'll... think that the food is bland because with the therapy, when my clients go on it and I've done it myself is after you eat this food, because there's no salt as well on the therapy, like yeah. it's all about taking in the natural salts from the produce that occur in yeah. the right ratio. So the potassium is high, the magnesium is high, the sodium in plant food is low. And so, you know, when you're not adding this extra sodium, um, it actually takes about three weeks before your taste buds regenerate. Yeah. And then all of a sudden it's like, well, a potato is not bland. It actually has quite complex flavors and you can actually taste, you know, a little bit of the dirt flavor in it. And you can taste, you know, the phosphorus and the sulfur. And, you know, and then they, you know, I've had a client say she took a bite of a tomato and she was like, oh my goodness, I had no idea tomatoes were spicy and had, you know, and I was like, <laughs> you know, and it's so cool when they come to that conclusion on themselves that like our fruits and vegetables are actually quite complex and they're not bland. Um, yeah. So your son probably isn't eating bland food. He's eating beautiful flavors that he can yeah. recognize, but the rest he of us are just eating. From time to time, he does eat a little bit of junk food here and there. You know, kids go to parties and whatever, and you know, he'll have a cookie cake or whatever. And um, you know, people are often surprised that I'm not strict on making him. You're not allowed to eat that food, but I look at it as it's a perfect educational experience. If once in a while he can eat a cookie, and then after that, I can talk to him about how does it make you feel, and how do you know how does your tummy feel now. How do you, do you have energy now? Do you feel better than when you usually eat your mango? Uh, and he'll, he'll, like, he understands. He goes, no, cookie's not. His, his thing that he's been saying lately is that, insert junk food here, but uh, a cookie, cookie's not strong food, Dad. I, strong food's better. I want to eat strong food, and cookie's not strong food. But that doesn't yeah. stop him from eating the cookie, but he recognises that it's not strong food, you know? So I like that. Doesn't, and yeah. he often, like, he often... If a, a cookie again, for example, they'll often just um, have a few bites of a cookie and then just give it to me and say, I'm finished with that, Dad. Or, Can I have a banana or something, you know? Yeah, so, my kids do the same too. Or else they'll notice that they're like, wow, that's really a sweet cookie and they only need a couple bites and they're yeah. fine with it, which I think is so cool that um, to be able to have that dialogue with your children around how things make them feel, you know, and as opposed to telling them, you know, like, let's go for an ice cream. It's such a treat. And, you know, and, you know, we almost push because it's not just the ice cream, it's the context of it as well. But you can easily go and have a mango for dessert and make it exciting. And that's what we did with our kids. We're like, oh, it's dessert time. Here's an apple <laughs> or here's some applesauce. Yeah. And kids are totally happy with that as opposed to pushing the idea that dessert has to be a cake or, you know, licorice or something, you know, or. Well, does dessert food. even have to be anything? Is that like we just don't even have dessert at our place. It's just, yeah. you know, just, just eat. If you want to, <laughs> you know, once you're finished eating the meal, if you want to eat something else, go and eat something else. But you don't, you know, why do we have to have dessert? <laughs> Instead of instead of eating something that's interesting after your meal, 
like why not do something that's interesting instead you know i like that yeah that's yeah. awesome you could probably write a book around uh parenting and food you know and just the relationship yeah. that you can help right. your child develop to food um and those are like great things like not even having dessert in the house but a novel <laughs> idea and yeah yeah we'll do something fun instead Sorry, I was just going to say, I actually posted a, a YouTube video yesterday um, about how uh, how dealing with cravings is pretty similar to dealing with children. And, um, you know. Tell me yeah, more. Craving, well, a craving is your inner child. This is just an analogy that I use. A craving is your inner child uh, lying down on the floor of the supermarket, kicking and screaming because they want their favourite chocolate bar, right? Mm -hmm. And if you're in the supermarket watching that, a good parent will recognise that, first of all, you can't have the chocolate bar because it's bad for you. Second of all, I'm not going to reward this terrible behaviour by giving you the chocolate bar. And then the, the child says, oh, but I promise I'll be good. I promise I'll be good if you just get me this chocolate. And the parent goes, you say that now and I know that you'll probably be well behaved for the next few hours or even the next few days, but the next time you want the chocolate, you're going to remember this and you're going to do it bigger and better next time. So... Mm -hmm. I'm not going to give in to this. Rather than giving you what you want, um, which is the chocolate, I'm going to give you what you need, which is help with changing your behaviour, yeah. right? And it's the same with, you know, our inner child telling us, hey, I want to eat the donut. You know, our, our adult self has to talk to that inner child and say, if I give you the donut, then next time you want a donut, the craving is going to be bigger and louder. If yeah. I don't give you the donut, then next time you want it, the craving is going to be a little bit smaller. Yeah, um, and then a little bit smaller and smaller and smaller again. Every time you say no to your inner child, it's going to learn that that behaviour doesn't get it what it wants, yeah. and you know. So anyway, that's sort of a that's more about dealing with the inner child than the actual child that I'm bringing up. It just, you reminded me of that point. Sorry. <laughs> I know, and I really love that. And the other thing about that too, which I really love, is. Um, and I've done this with my kids a lot of times when you see them like wanting the chocolate or wanting something that, you know, you just don't want to give it to them because you rather support their health. And sometimes I just say to them, like, are you craving something really sweet? You know, and they'll go, yeah, or something really salty. Yeah. So, you know, I'll offer them a mango, for example, and be like, eat the whole thing if you want it, you know, and, and then they do. And then their sugar craving is satisfied or, you know, are you just craving comfort or are you craving, you know, what is it that you're actually craving that we can help with? Yeah. And, you know, chocolate is, you know, often a magnesium deficiency and I'm seeing it in my 13 year old. Um, and so what I'll say to my daughter is I'm like, you know what, here, here's some, you know, a little magnesium drink. It's even though it's a supplement, I'd rather always do it by food, but sometimes just having that, you know, magnesium drink helps. And then all of a sudden the chocolate craving is gone. Yeah. So there's always something else there that we potentially could be craving and just asking, you know, what is that? Um, and me, so my big thing is that um, I've got this saying, make your food boring and your life interesting. Um, and that doesn't mean, you know, your food always has to be 100% boring. It just means recognize that 90% of the time, you know, there are times like you described where you're craving something because you need something. But 90% um, of the time, maybe 95% of the time, when you're craving something, you what you're really craving is enjoyment. Yeah. You, know? you want to eat the donut because it's enjoyable to eat. It just is. There's no oh. point denying that. Donuts are fun to eat. But, yeah. you know, there are plenty of other fun things you can do. You don't have to get your fun from the donut. You can get it from, you know, wrestling with your kid or look up a bad joke. Just Google bad jokes 
find one and tell it to your wife and watch her roll her eyes at you. And, you know, that, these are fun things to do, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, there's a meal I could go on and on for hours about finding fun things to do. But really, you know, make your food boring and your life interesting. You don't need to eat interesting food. You need to do interesting things. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. And you remind me of some of my clients that have actually said to me, you know, I don't want to do this therapy because it's hard work and I can't always eat that kind of food when I go out, which is why we actually created our restaurants, the, you know, the Green Mustache, because I recognize that it's really hard to get good, clean food. Um, that sounds really good, right now. I wish we had Green Mustache in Melbourne. I, I need that. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, exactly. And, um, and so, but I've had clients who said, you know, I don't want to forgo dinners at the Rim Rock, which is like our, you know, top restaurant in Whistler, but it's all French cuisine full of butter and creams and you know but you know they said I don't want to I don't want to miss those dinners with my friends but really what they're saying is they just don't want to miss the time with their friends yeah you know so you can actually um, just invite your friends over or you know go somewhere and choose options that are great and I mean these are people who have cancer and chronic illness like their friends aren't you know necessarily going to their house and being like let's cook you healthy food but they're willing to sacrifice their health to go have dinner with them and so it is one of those things I really am. I'm actually going to write that down and I might make a bumper sticker for you and um, <laughs> make your food boring and your life interesting because it is such a brilliant start to a dialogue to really talk about that. I think it's quite beautiful. And the other thing that you touched on as well, which I think is incredible for anybody who's listening to this, is a lot of my clients, when they are wanting to switch their lifestyle and their diet a lot of times they're not supported by family members. And I mean, and come on, they're switching to fruits and vegetables and a little bit of grains and legumes. And they're just doing it in different quantities and a different way of cooking than their family members. So instead of deep frying a potato, you eat a baked potato. Um, but it's amazing the uproar that the family members will get into. Like, why would you want to do that? And, you know, and, and can you even eat off the, eat those foods? And it's only because they don't understand that, yes, those fruits foods do have the right fats, right proteins, and, they, and they're not going to be depriving themselves. But... I think what your wife did was so magical in that she just chose to support you and said, you know what, you're eating potatoes, let's see what happens and I'm there and if it doesn't work, I'll still support you no matter what else you want to try. But the whole entire point is that she helped you try. Um, yeah. And I think that's something I really wish your wife could teach a workshop um, for the family members who are anti-trying things that is not doctor approved um, or, you know, but you've said it yourself. It is. It has been doctor approved. There's medical research out there that shows that whether it's potatoes or plant based diet or eating clean um, is OK for your body. Um, so I think it's just I just need to honor your wife for doing that because I see so much of the opposite where family members aren't supporting um, these lifestyle changes. So I think it's incredible. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, I I am what I am because my wife is there for me and supports me. And um, yeah, I'm sure you know if there are people out there that are having trouble with uh, with support, then yeah, you can you can do it on your own. I'm sure you can. I don't know how to because I didn't do it on my own. But you know, yeah. maybe you just yeah, there's got to be a way, and you got to keep searching for it and keep finding it. And for me, my first. Um, Port of call would be to just be completely open and honest with the people around you. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, obviously my wife was supportive from the start, but my friends made fun of me and they, my friends just thought it was a big joke and I was a big idiot for doing what I was doing. And I, um, I went out for dinner with friends and they were making fun of me and I just, I just said, look, this is why I'm doing it. I, I totally opened up. 
and uh, and told them all about how food has basically caused every issue that I could think of in my life. Every problem I had was because of food. I was an addict, you know, and I said to my friends that, you know, if I was here trying to not drink beer because I was a raging alcoholic, you wouldn't be trying to force me into drinking beer. You wouldn't be making fun of me. And this is the same thing that, you know, this is what's going on with food. It's doing all the same stuff. And, and you know, once I was totally open and honest and really bared my soul to my friends, then they were like, you're right, we'll support you. And then I got nothing but support from my friends from that point on as well. And, um, you know, it's natural. We want to, people want to have fun. People want to, you know, find holes and find flaws in what other people that are doing when it's different and whatever. But, you know, when you really take the time to open up and bear your soul and, and make people understand what you're doing and why you're doing it, then um, you'll get support. And if you don't get support, then you know that that's probably not a true friend. And, you know, these were true friends that I always had that were making fun of me. And I make fun of my friends as well. It's what people do. But once people see how important this is and how it's really, you know, life and death, they will support you. That's, and if they don't, they're not your friends. <laughs> I love that. We have uh, Terry Jane Cruz here who's listening. And, you know, she says, so true, true that. Um, <laughs> That's a really great piece of advice that opening up to your family and friends and saying it in the most honest way and true way that you can, um, because it's scary when, you know, you do have a mental health illness or, you know, an illness from the neck down um, and you want to heal yourself. And when you're going out on a limb and trying something that's different and that a lot of people don't yet know about or haven't read about it. Um, so it is challenging, but being honest and open with the people around you is so important. So yeah, I know... It goes against your instinct. Like people don't like to open up and be vulnerable. You want to, you know, you want, people want to just present this, you know, unflappable exterior that's just soldiering on no matter what. So it, it is hard to open up. It's very hard because it, it just goes against what what we feel like. But, you know, I can promise you that if you have good friends that are actually worthy of being your friends, then you're going to be happy that you opened up to them. Yeah. That's a beautiful piece of advice. Yeah. Um, and you have, Andrew, this amazing challenge, this benefit challenge that you offer that people can sign up for. Um, I was really shocked by the price because it's, you know, it's so inexpensive. And especially because you'd be switching just to potatoes. Uh, one of my staff that I was saying I'd be interviewing you and she said, oh, my gosh, this is amazing. My food bill is going to go down so much. Um, and so I just, so $30 a month is nothing to be coached by you. Um, and we're $147 a year. Like that's literally a steal when it comes to being able to turn your health and your life around. So tell us about what people will get when they do what you'll get when you do sign up for this benefit challenge. Yeah, yeah. Well, it, it really, it is cheap because I don't want money to be a barrier to people's good health. But at the same time, I've got bills to pay, you know, so I need to, I need to pay my bills, and uh, if I if I can't pay my bills, then I can't spend time on making this uh, this coaching thing happen. So it's sort of I'd, I'd, ideally I'd like to be able to do it for free, but I can't. So this is what we're this is where we're at. Um, what it is is you get access to my website. Uh, there's a members only section of the website, so where you can ask questions all day, every day. I get in there every day and answer all the questions. There's a private coaching page where you can ask questions that only I see and I can answer them that way. You all get also get access to the Facebook group and 
through the website and the Facebook group, you get to interact with lots of other people that are doing the same thing, sharing the same experience, and you can get help and advice from those people as well. And uh, you also get my book for free. You get to download my book for free, and then you also get a whole food plant-based guide for, um, you know, so when you finish your SpudFit challenge, you get this guide for, uh, for what to do next. Um, and then on top of that, you get uh, once a week, we do uh, a members-only coaching session so I, I do a live video um, I do like a 10 or 15 minute lecture on a couple of different topics that I think are important that week and then we just open it up to questions and whoever's in there can uh, just get whatever questions answered that they want and um, yeah it's pretty comprehensive and you get all the information you need and all the support you need to um, to deal with food addiction and change the your psychology and the way you behave around food so uh, yeah, that's what it's all about. And at the moment I'm working on, so that's just a members section, but I'm working on a really in-depth course that I'm calling the Advanced um, Spud Fit Challenge. And that's going to have, that's going to be launching in around two weeks. And that's going to have, um, you know, a heap of, it's going to have 28 different lessons. It's going to have worksheets um, and it's going to be really in-depth to help you get to know yourself and your own food behaviours a lot better. And, and understand yourself and the way you behave and the way food affects your life a lot better and, and um, develop plans and strategies to deal with that as well. So, um, yeah, and that'll just be part of the membership too. And it'll be a separate thing if you want to do it separately. So, yeah, that's that. And if you, if you want to, you can sign up for my newsletter as well. And um, every now and then we do a special where you can get it cheaper as well. So if that's... Yeah, that might be a, two or three months and we might do another special than that. So, But, yeah, you'll save more money on your food bill than you'll spend on the membership. <laughs> That's so true. Yeah. Not so to mention saving money on medications and stuff if you're on them. You'll get off them pretty quick. <laughs> That's amazing. And do you have some incredible success stories for people who have gone through it? Like how has it been for people who go through it? I'm oh, sure you've gotten Every day I hear incredible success stories. Yeah, my, my favourite I've got two favorites, actually. My first favorite was a guy that had been um, type 2 diabetic for 30 years and had tried everything he could to, uh, to get off his diabetes medication and his insulin and tried a million different diets. And uh, he did two weeks of only potatoes and he was off all medications, off his insulin. Everything was working perfectly. So, um, yeah, that was really cool. Uh, my other favorite story was my dad's best friend actually had been on uh, on. Uh, blood pressure medication for decades. I don't know how long, but it was decades that he'd been taking blood pressure medication to bring his blood pressure down. Four days of only potatoes, and he was off his blood pressure medication with normal blood pressure. Um, so yeah, that was pretty incredible. And then obviously there's a lot of yeah. That's <laughs> it. Every day I get to read stories like this, but you know there's a lot of um, there's a lot of weight loss stories. There's a lot of people that have lost huge amounts of weight as well. And, um, and yeah, a lot of similar stories to what I just described. And, yeah, people are getting off arthritis medication and um, people dealing with chronic fatigue and things like that. Yeah, it's, it's endless. Yeah. That is amazing. And for me, I have similar stories with my clients, but the therapy I teach is quite complex because it's about getting people – you know, into the lifestyle of it, of eating just real foods. And, and, but it is hard. And especially if somebody's, you know, suffering from arthritis and diabetes and now they're in their kitchen cooking, you know, all of these meals, um, you know, and I walk them through it and I have a similar program to you where I help people have an online course and we have a book coming out with a publisher. Um, 
in the fall. It's a five week program, but same thing. Like people, like my clients have gotten off heart meds, diabetic meds, um, their panic attacks stop almost within like the first day to two days of switching their diet. Um, people whose fallopian tubes have been blocked for like a decade, blocked yeah. with scar tissue, and in two weeks, unblocked, and eggs start releasing, and they get right. the period for the first you time. Another story. Sorry, can I interrupt? Yeah, yeah. You reminded me of another story that um, there was somebody that uh, that uh, a couple, husband and wife that had been trying to get pregnant for ages, but they were very overweight. And um, and they came on the SpudFit Challenge because they were trying to get um, IVF treatment so they could be um, made pregnant. And But they, they weren't allowed to do that until they'd lost a certain amount of weight. So they got into the SpudFit Challenge with the aim of losing weight so they could get this medical treatment so they could get pregnant. And a month later, they wrote to me and said, we have to stop the SpudFit Challenge because we're pregnant and we did it naturally. <laughs> All right. <laughs> And like, so potatoes only, maybe not the best idea for while you're pregnant. So they decided to stop it. But yeah, how cool is that? <laughs> that is amazing. But you know what? Even, and you say maybe not the best idea while you're pregnant, but you have to think about the Irish who really just ate potatoes yeah. and their society grew. So maybe that's actually well, you know, a potential. Yeah, personally, I would say, yeah. It, I don't see why it wouldn't be a good idea while you're pregnant, but I'm not going to, I'm not a doctor and I'm not going to go yeah. against doctor's advice. And their doctor had told them, not to yeah. do it while they're pregnant and you know who am i to you know I'm, i don't have the qualifications and i don't have the one-on-one -on -one face to face and all that so i'm not going to go and tell them yeah potatoes are great for why you're pregnant when their doctors told them not that's no, probably I understand. yeah yeah and it's the same battle that you know so many people have being vegan and vegetarian their doctors are like oh you need to eat meat you're pregnant and you know you actually really don't need to because you can still get all the same nutrients. You might take a B12 supplement where even people who are eating meat still need to take B12. Um, you know, you'll take your prenatal vitamin, you do all of that, but it's taken a long time for doctors to come around to be like, actually a vegetarian and vegan and plant-based whole food diet is, you know, okay while you're pregnant. And I'm not talking people, when I talk to about vegan um, and vegetarian diets. I'm not talking about vegan, gluten-free Oreo cookies. I am talking about whole plant-based real food. So it's going to take some work. Um, but definitely, I think adding more potatoes into your diet while you're pregnant is amazing. And, you know, I look back to 14 years ago before I started doing this when I was pregnant with um, my daughter, my first daughter, and I actually craved potatoes and I ate French fries every single day of the entire pregnancy. Now I look back on that moment, I have no idea why I was so fit and healthy throughout that pregnancy eating potatoes, um, but French fries, French fry form. I mean, and I always naturally chose the baked, like my potatoes were often like baked wedge yeah. potatoes. But, you know, they still, like, if I got them from a restaurant, they were smothered in salt and smothered in oils. Um, and I wish I could redo it and just stick to the true potato. But, um, yeah, I craved potatoes when I was pregnant. Yeah, for sure. And my wife's been, my wife's currently pregnant, but uh, the boy that we have. Congratulations. Uh, yeah, thank you. So, yeah, but she was she was vegan, mostly whole food, plant-based through her last pregnancy, and everything went perfectly, and our boy's big and strong. And, yeah. Um, and you know she's doing it again now and totally vegan whole food plant-based and everything's working perfectly so yeah and i should also point out that like i'm not here to advocate that everyone should eat only potatoes what this budget yeah. challenge is for me was i had tried numerous times to follow a whole food plant-based diet and i just i couldn't make myself do it so really what the spud fit challenge is 
to me and what I encourage for everyone that does it is to is it that it's a stepping stone that allows you to take some time away from food, work on your psychology, work on your behavior, change the way you think about food, and then when you when you're more comfortable, then you can move on to a whole food plant-based diet, probably a lot like the one you ask your patients to eat. So, um, yeah, so it's really, it's not intended as, it, it, there's no reason it couldn't be a diet for the long term, but it's not intended that way for me. It's meant to be a stepping stone to help you overcome your addictive behaviours and then move on to um, the, a, a whole food plant-based diet, yeah. Yeah, no, thanks for pointing that out for sure, because I know a lot of people will have that question, um, definitely. Um, so is there anything that you want to wrap up with? Is there anything important that you want the audience um, members to know? I know we've covered so much. We've just spent the last almost an hour and a half together, and I could spend literally weeks with you um, diving into the science. I'm a science geek. I love um yeah good peer-reviewed um, data and journals and medical literature. I love good science. I also love anecdotal stories, like those stories you told about the people who've done this, the Spud Fit Challenge. That should inspire researchers to look deeper into yeah. do even more studies um, that they can present. Yeah, and so what do you want to leave the audience? Oh, so so one of the dreams I have is to actually get into research myself and um, and start um, you know, doing some studies myself that we can publish and um, and show people what good health, uh, what good healthy eating can do. Um, one of the biggest things I get, which this is a, a good way to finish, I guess, is one of the biggest things I get is from I, I get a lot of people write to me and say, um, you know, that's great that you you did that and you changed your health and good for you, well done. But I could never do it because I don't have the willpower and. Um, and I, my reply to that is always that if I had great willpower, then one of the other thousand diets that I tried before, would have, I would have been able to stick to it. Uh, and this is not about willpower. All right? Willpower is a finite resource. It's not something that we can just turn on and keep it on all day, every day, forever. It's, this is not about willpower. This is about changing uh, the way that you think and behave so that you do away with the need for willpower. This is about going beyond willpower to a place where you don't need to convince yourself and fight with yourself and um, and totally, um, you know, be in battle every day to try to, you know, resist the urges and resist the cravings and become some, some kind of willpower superhuman. This is about understanding that if you're relying on willpower, you're fighting a losing battle. And let's let's change the game. Let's do something different that doesn't rely on willpower and let's learn to live in a way where you learn to eat healthy and good foods because you want to, not because you think you should. Um, so, And I think if I can change the way my brain works and the way I behave to get to that place in time, then anyone can. That is an amazing piece of advice. And um, as I've been sitting here with you, one thing... Um, that I do want to do is I'm going to sign up for your Spud Fit Challenge. I've never done anything like it before. Uh, I think the um, I think it's brilliant. Um, the therapy I teach actually, potato is a significant part of it. So you have 
two baked potatoes a day. You also have potato as a foundation for the soup, for the kidney cleanse that you drink um, twice a day as well. Um, you can have as many potatoes. In fact, I often see my clients running around town when they'll pull out a potato out of their pocket and just start eating it because it's a perfect snack. Um, and, you know, they've learned how to cook potatoes in 2,100 different ways. Uh, and they're always so shocked. And I love it because my clients go, what? I finally get to eat potatoes again. Like people have been depriving themselves of this incredible food. Um, yeah. Really from poor, poor data and science. So I'm going to sign up for this Fight Fit Challenge because my big thing is I run five businesses. We have a nonprofit. I have a health consulting company. We have our corporate restaurants. We have our franchise company, so you can, you know, we teach you how to open up one of our green mustache locations wow. in your community. If you want to bring health and wellness to your community in that form, then we'll show you how to do it. Um, and um, and then we also have, uh, what's, oh, we just opened up a wellness center, actually. So where it sleeps 12 people, it's a retreat center. So you can come and we teach you how to cook the food and, you know, juice the food and, you know, make incredible meals. But we also teach you the science as to why you're doing it. Um, because we really think it's important for people to understand the nature of disease, but also the nature of their body, the human body. And a lot of people don't know even where their liver is, or sometimes that they even have a liver. Um, uh -huh. So we do about why it's so important to be kind to your liver and to your heart and to your spleen, and but that you can't just treat one of the organs, you know, through cleanses and diets. Um, you have to treat the whole entire body as one. Um, but I'm going to do it because I am so busy, and I'm actually just a little tired of always having to think about what foods to eat. It's sort of like um, what Obama did. You know, he sticks to the same suit, same color shirt, same tie and doesn't switch it up because it saves you mental energy and physical energy having to make those decisions. So I'm going to switch to your um, diet. I'm going to try it out and uh, I'll definitely let you know how it goes and we'll be going back and forth, I'm sure, from all the coaching that you give. But I'm just going to do it. I'm going to take before and after photos. I'm going to write a journal about you know how my body feels right now because I am pretty tired because I do run around. I often forget to eat meals because sometimes I'm like, I just can't get a healthy meal, so I'm just not going to eat. Um, yeah. and, and that's not a good option as well. And so I'm going to do that and I'll let everyone know how it goes. I'm so okay. excited. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. So it, to yeah. yeah. It's going to be great. So one way that I would like to wrap up is, um, how are you feeling now? Like it's been a year now since you went back to eating regular food. Um, follow just because we probably won't have time to get into it, but, um, I remember just being like, so amazed by what that day would look like on January 1st, 2017. But how was the introduction of food and what is your health like now? And what is a day in the life of Andrew Spudfit Taylor this, these days when it comes to food that you eat? Yeah, well, when you said earlier about clients uh, eating a potato, uh, sorry, eating a tomato and noticing all the flavors and how amazing it was, that brought me back to my first day of eating things that weren't potatoes. And the one that stands out for me was I had a grape and it was amazing. I couldn't believe how incredible. I was never a big fan of grapes before, but I ate just this one grape and I was like, oh, what is this? This is <laughs> something. Wow. And like I ate pineapple and like I could still taste the pineapple in my mouth nearly an hour later. It was, oh, it was, it was amazing. So, um, yeah, food is, is a different thing for me now. Um, I, I follow uh, what I call a whole food spud based diet. Um, you know, so it's whole food, basically, it's whole food plant based, but with an emphasis on spuds. So I still eat a lot of potatoes, but I eat 
other things with it. You know, I'll have, instead of just having baked potatoes on their own, I'll have um, potatoes with baked beans and broccoli or something like that. Awesome. Um, so I do keep it really simple. I do from time to time still have a few days or a week where I eat only potatoes um, because just as you described, sometimes I just want simplicity in my life and I want to stop making decisions. So I just have a few days and where I don't make any decisions about food and I find that helps me get work done. Uh, you know, it helps me focus on other areas of my life. So I don't do that often, but maybe once a month or once every couple of months, I'll have a few days or a week where I eat only potatoes. Um, yeah, just to get that mental clarity. Um, but yeah, life is good. I really, like I said earlier, I focus on rather than trying to uh, enjoy the food I eat, which I do enjoy the food I eat, by the way, but uh, rather than that being the focus of my life, I, I'm trying to enjoy, focus on enjoying the overall experience of life rather than just the things I put in my mouth, you know? So, uh, yeah, life is good and, and, uh, and I, food is, food is more something that fuels my awesome life rather than my life being about trying to get to the next meal. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> I love it. And thank you so much for this incredible hour and a half of your time. Um, I think you have, usually I look for one or two gold nuggets that we can share with, um, gold nugget potatoes, gold nuggets that we can share with um, our audiences, but you have given so many and we're going to summarize that and put it into print form in a blog so that our readers can also access it if they don't have an hour and a half time to listen to this um, interview. But thank you so much. I can't wait to jump on this Fit challenge, which I'm going to do right away. Um, and I'll share that with everybody. And I just, um, if you ever want to come to Whistler, BC and do a retreat together, I would uh, love to host you at our center, um, invite some guests to come and spend you know, uh, a week with you, three days with you, um, as much time we can coordinate that if you ever want to come. I don't know if you've ever been to Whistler. It's really cool. No, right? But yeah, I've heard nothing but great things and I would love to come. Uh, yeah, that would be cool. Okay, great. So we'll connect about that offline. Um, and so right. everybody, please reach out, get Andrew's book, The Spudfit Challenge, sign up for his challenge and just do it to just you know what? Challenge yourself and challenge your mind um, and your conceptions around food and nutrients and thing, concepts like diets and cleanses. I think this will shift a lot for you that you may never even want to do a diet or a cleanse, but you might just want to um, switch your lifestyle over um, and, you know, see what it does to your relationship with food. Um, also to your relationship with your friends, as Andrew pointed out, you know, sometimes you got to get rid of the friends that just are the naysayers and aren't wanting to support your awesome transformations that you can make in life. Um, so please reach out to us. Let us know how you like this interview. Um, and if you need any help around switching your diet over to a beautiful, um, what did you call it? Uh, all vegetarian, food a whole foods fun based diet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. So yeah, reach out to Andrew, reach out to myself. If you have friends or family that are suffering from any type of mental health um, issues, any, um, chronic degenerative disease issues, please reach out to us because um, collectively, Andrew and I, we can um, provide you with lots of information that can help you um, to reverse your illness and get healthy again um, and just bring joy back into your life so we can live a long, beautiful, healthy and vibrant life. So thanks, Andrew, for your time. Thank you so much for having me. I've, I've had a great time and, uh, and yeah, thank you for doing the work you do as well. The, the Lord knows that uh, we need more people like you uh, in this world 
helping people to get healthy and as well. So um, yeah, good on you and thank you for for fighting the good fight. <laughs> Thanks, Andrew. You too. I feel like yeah, you're a partner in crime, so it's awesome. Yeah. All right. Bada. Okay. See you later, Andrew. Enjoy your day with uh, your son and uh, doing your work to help others. Enjoy the sunshine. You too. All right. See ya. Bye. Thank you so much for being here today. Hope you enjoyed this episode. And please let us know if you have any questions or if you want to provide feedback on any of our shows, contact us by emailing us at info at richerhealth.ca. And you can also subscribe to our newsletter to receive information about our upcoming events, to learn more about the healing retreats that we offer at our Nutrition and Detox Wellness Center, and to get a copy of our latest book titled Eat Real to Heal, of course. Lastly, if you want one of us to do the cooking for you, just come visit us at the Green Mustache Organic Cafe in your neighborhood.